The old political adage goes, elections have consequences. While many of us are focused on the demands of the pandemic, I'm asking, what is the consequence of doing nothing at all this election cycle? Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Today, we take a look at the primary coming up on Tuesday, June 2nd, with a narrow focus on the state and local elections. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced elected and appointed officials to make life or death decisions. So we need all the information possible to make the best choice. We examine the difficulty with voting on tribal lands right now, and those issues could get worse come November. But solutions start with knowledge, right? That's what we're doing today. But first, our executive producer, Marisa DeMarco, has a news rundown of what we know today, Thursday, May 28th, as of 5 p.m. Early research is showing that wearable fitness trackers can show coronavirus symptoms days before people feel sick, according to the Washington Post, especially trackers that show body temperature. And emergency pandemic relief programs will expire in the coming weeks, along with moratoriums on evictions. And economists say the country is clearly going to need more support, according to the Times. Rolling back shutdown orders won't be enough to cut it. The CDC is recommending that at reopened offices, employees should have their temperatures checked when they get to work, the desks should be spaced six feet apart, and plastic shields should be built around desks. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham announced this afternoon that restaurants, gyms, and barbershops can open their doors again on Monday, but not at full capacity, according to the Santa Fe Reporter. Restaurants can run at half capacity, gyms too. Hair salons and indoor malls can open up at 25%. Everyone has to wear a mask, the governor said, and respect social distancing. Bars, movie theaters, concerts, and large gatherings are still off the table, but there are improvements in numbers across the state, officials say. There were 108 new cases of the virus announced today, bringing the total to 7,364. Six more people have died in the state, which brings the total to 335. The curve is flattening at last on the Navajo Nation, President Jonathan Nez announced yesterday, acknowledging that the orders and curfews were really extreme, but they worked, he said. There is another 57-hour lockdown this weekend, starting Friday at 8 p.m. and lasting until Monday at 5 a.m. Still, hospital visits are down 30 to 40 percent, Nez said. Officials say the number of cases is still climbing, reaching almost 5,000 today, but part of that is because people are being tested there at a higher rate than anywhere else in the U.S. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. My next guest is Amber Carrillo. She is with Common Cause here in New Mexico. Amber, thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Pueblos are being hit hard by the pandemic and they're facing high rates of infection and fatalities. And four or five are deciding about whether to have a polling location on their Pueblo this election. What are some of the factors in that decision that they're making? The factors are really giving their tribal members an opportunity to cast a ballot still Mm -hmm. and also making sure that those community members are still safe and protected from infection. All opportunities to cast a ballot are important to tribes, and yet we've got to be extra careful this year. So I think that's really what's fueling decisions about polling locations in tribal communities. This is a pretty hard calculation. This is not an attempt to disenfranchise voters. But how do we explain this to our audience? 
really what I think tribal leaders have had to do is to consider the possible locations of a polling site. I would say the majority of the tribes, with the exception of probably two of them, have decided to have polling locations that are not necessarily in their normal places, Hmm. but places within the parameters of the community, as close to outside of the community as possible. We have the Pueblo of Zia, which is not going to have a polling site. The Pueblo of Zia, though, is having a robust absentee drive, which is great news. But it's entirely possible that not everybody requested an absentee ballot. And so folks who did not request an absentee ballot still can go vote in person at the nearest voting convenience center, which is going to be at the Bernalillo High School in Bernalillo, New Mexico. That goes for the Pueblo of San Felipe as well, because at this moment, they do not have a polling site confirmed within their tribal community. So I would reroute them as well to the VCC, which is the Voting Convenience Center at the Bernalillo High School. That's the nearest one to them. So other tribes have operations outside of their tribal communities. For instance, the Santa Clara Pueblo normally has a polling location within their village. This year, their polling location is going to be at the event center at their casino, which is in Española. What type of difficulties does that make? Does that make traveling an issue? At Santa Clara, it's not much of an issue. But at the Pueblo of Zia and at San Felipe, it could be an issue because one of the things that we have to take into consideration right now are the executive orders, the various ordinances of the tribes. A lot of those executive orders include curfews for community members and residents. If you're not a resident of San Felipe, you mostly will not be allowed to enter the community. Mm. So folks who normally think that they can go vote in a particular place on tribal land, you really should think about being rerouted and look at the nearest voting convenience center. In addition to those ordinances, there are things like only two people can leave in a vehicle and be back by a certain time. So there is a lot of conditions that, again, you know, they're not intended to disenfranchise, but they're really intended to protect the people. As you can see, it is really going to limit access to the polls. The other thing is you really have to know how to use the absentee ballot properly Mm -hmm. in order to cast an effective vote with it. At this time, it's just something that we weren't necessarily used to. One of the things about the polling locations within our communities is that those were actually hard fought for as well. And then when we do have polling locations, you know, they turn into community events on election day. Yeah. Given everything you just mentioned with the issue of discovering polling locations and people knowing which ones they can go to and have access to, as well as some of the potential problems with mail-in ballots. It seems like it's information and the information is constantly changing. What misinformation are you seeing out there that you're trying to confront? This is really important to me is that there have been on various websites of the county clerks, PDFs showing voting locations which are not confirmed and have not been actually even running. There were lists showing all of the regular polling sites for the Pueblos and the Navajo Nation, and that simply was not the case at the time, particularly with early in-person voting locations. 
if a site can't be confirmed, the next best thing is to reroute someone to yeah. the voting convenience center on the day of the primary. And that's not foolproof either. Gotcha. Now, we're talking mostly about the Pueblos, but do you also have info for folks on the Navajo Nation? They have been reduced to only one polling site per county, which is quite drastic. Hmm. Understandably so, due to what they're facing with their public health crisis. Yes. There are sites in McKinley County and San Juan County, Socorro County, Sandoval County for the Navajo Nation. Okay. Now, this is just the primary election we're dealing with all these issues. We look forward to the general election. What, in your opinion, needs to happen next to ensure that everyone has access to voting? Is what we're going through now a dress rehearsal and a dry run for what is to happen in the general election? (laughs) I hope that if it's a dress rehearsal that we get a little better at getting dressed. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It is and it isn't because we're really not sure what's going to happen in November and when early voting starts and absentee voting starts. It would be best for us to consider that what we're going through now is really something that we should think of as being a true lesson mm. for down the road, you know, regardless of it, if it's in the next general election or maybe even four years down the road. What do we need to do in order to? make sure that people can vote. Mm -hmm. There are definitely reasons that absentee voting is problematic for Native Americans, but I don't think that we should focus on those problems. I think that we really need to figure out how we can help folks use the available means, because from now until November, there's not going to be very much that changes in terms of methods of voting. Over the summer, we really should focus on a strong absentee ballot education program. We also still need to focus on registering voters. If you think about it, there's probably a lot of young Native Americans who just turned 18 who um, are interested in voting. I want to thank you again for the work that you're doing and thank you for coming on to the show. Hopefully I can have you on before November so we can talk about how things are improved and things to look out for. She's Amber Carrillo. She is with Common Cause. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Amber Cadillo called us back to say that after the primary on Tuesday, the next step is to look at the data. The Supreme Court ordered county clerks to mail absentee ballot applications to all eligible voters on tribal lands. And under the Voting Rights Act, there had to be appropriate language options, too. If that didn't happen, it could trigger a federal investigation, she said. But if that did happen and turnout was still low, her crew's focus will be on figuring out how to work with tribal leaders and getting information out about new voting procedures before November. This is URNM Government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're covering the way the virus and health measures are impacting people differently around the state. Along with the slow reopening of the state, we've shifted our broadcast to three days a week. Tune in Wednesday through Friday at 7.30 p.m. here on KUNM or find the episode anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. We mean anywhere. We're here to talk more about the primaries. My next guest is Atza Don Chavez. She is the executive director at NM Native Vote. Atza, thanks for being on with me again. Thank you. It's good to see you. Indeed. And so we've seen that Native people across the state, they're dealing with much higher rates of death and infection because of systemic racism. There's no doubt about that. So voting in the primary right now might not be 
on the top of everybody's priority list. How do you navigate that at NM Native Vote? How do you get out the message that voting in the primary is still important despite what we're going through? Well, you are correct in that sometimes the need to vote is coming across insensitive um, when so many of our communities are just dealing with safeguarding um, themselves and, and getting everything set to be able to take care of their communities. However, we are still messaging and still putting out the word out there that we do need to participate in the primary and letting people know kind of what is at stake. Yeah. Um, what should people on tribal lands really consider practically when it comes to making casting their vote on Tuesday? What, what do you want them to know about what they should think about? Well, first, we had been messaging for people to request an absentee ballot application. If they haven't done that, we basically are now messaging for people to go out and actually physically cast a vote. If they have early voting sites still open, they can do that with fewer people. We know that the Secretary of State has said that they're going to be taking every effort to safeguard community members by wearing PPE, by cleaning devices in between folks. But we also know that we already have long lines and we have the fewest amount of polling locations available. So basically when they found out that we were not gonna go to an all-male absentee ballot format, county clerks across the state looked at how many polling locations they had and they said, okay, well legally, here's how many we have to have open. And that's about the number that they have open. So it's a bare minimum. It's a bare minimum, right. And so, like, I know that on the New Mexico side, on Navajo Nation, I think they have two. Wow. So we're we're definitely going to see a lot fewer voter participation. Right now, we're at about 15%, both GOP and uh, them return ballots, either by early voting or by absentee ballot returns. We're only seeing uh, about 7% of the tribal vote passed thus far. You know, earlier we talked with Amber Carrillo from Common Cause, and she emphasized that after the primary, you all will be pouring over the data to see what happened, the numbers, and to create conditions to where everybody can actually get the vote out in November. What are you in particular hoping to see from that data? Well, we know there's going to be a lot lower percentage in terms of turnout. We already can foresee that. We're hoping that some of the key races, at least for our Native communities, are upheld, meaning the candidates that are supporting tribal sovereignty, supporting the protection of our um, lands from extraction, and, you know, basically voting in a way that is supportive of Native communities, we are hoping that, you know, they make it past the primary. But in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, it's a toss-up. We know things aren't gonna be good. We don't know how bad it's gonna be, but we are all ready to do whatever we need to to make sure that any problems that come to light in the primary that we're able to hopefully fix before the general, or at least address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, address and, and, and make known so they can be fixed. Cause we still have some time, even though time isn't a time warp, I tell people, you know, we're already at the end of May and it doesn't feel like it. I'm like, November is gonna be creeping up soon. So there's a lot more work on everyone's plate as far as getting involved. Right. Where can our listeners go to support NM Native Vote and the NAVA Education Project? Either one of our websites, so that would be nmnativevote.org 
or NAVA, N-A-V-A, educationproject.org. Those are avenues where we have ways to be able to donate to our causes. If you are following us on social media, please continue to repost or forward our messages. You know, call all of your friends, remind them of the need to vote, remind them of the the ways to do that. Right now, it's basically turning in those absentee ballots at a polling location because of the issues with the mail. It's not necessarily advisable at this point if you have not mailed that in to continue to mail that in because election law states that 7 p.m., if it's not in the hands of Secretary of State, your vote does not count as being casted. So we're asking people to turn those in physically at a polling location. Just remind people of the need to vote. There are so many folks out there that are just dealing with how do they survive? I don't have a job. My family members are needing my help. There's so many different things right now that are going on. And I know so many of our community members are struggling. We are doing our best to get the message out there. Okay. Well, it's time, listeners, time for you to absolutely get involved. I want to thank you again. Pleasure to talk to you again. She is the executive director for NM Native Vote and the Neva Education Project. Atza Don Chavez, thanks again for being with me. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. The primaries are coming around the corner. We need to be informed about who we're voting for and why. Joining me now is Dan McKay, political journalist for the Albuquerque Journal. Dan, thanks for being with me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So tell me, what races are you following with interest? Well, there's um, there's a lot going on uh, that I'm following both at the state and the federal level. You know, in terms of uh, Congress, we have an open congressional seat in northern New Mexico. The Democratic incumbent, Ben Ray Lujan, is moving up and is the Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate now. Um, and there is a, uh, a pretty vigorous Democratic primary um, up here to replace him. There are Republican candidates, of course, also, but um, northern New Mexico is considered pretty friendly ground for Democrats. So people are really watching the Democratic primary closely. There is a series of challenges to some of the more conservative Democrats in the state Senate. Mm. Uh, some of the, the, the senior legislators uh, like John Arthur Smith and Clemente Sanchez, um, Mary Kay Papin, uh, many of them are facing challenges from more progressive uh, Democrats. And then there's a whole host of uh, you know county offices throughout the throughout the state that also are obviously very important to you know, the services people get and that kind of thing. And we've seen throughout this pandemic, the the old adage come true, all politics is local. How can we help people Mm -hmm. see the vital importance of the local races as it pertains to not only COVID-19 and the response, but what we go through on a daily Mm -hmm. basis? You can really see right now how incredibly important these mayors are, these governors uh, and legislators you know, for instance, uh, some people have been upset that they couldn't uh, at one point pick up uh, beer from a local liquor store uh, at at the curb. Mm-hmm. And that's a result of state rules that pre- prohibit liquor stores from um, offering curbside pickup. Yeah. Uh, people have been upset about, you know, whether restaurants can open for dine-in services, whether they could let people come in on the patio, that kind of thing. Those are the results of you know, public orders issued by the governor. So there, there is, you know, a tremendous amount of influence in these local offices where this is sort of where the, 
um, the rubber meets the road and it is not, you know, just this sort of theoretical political battle in Washington, D.C. These these elected officials are making real uh, consequential decisions that affect people's day to day lives. Yeah, it's vitally important. Now, you mentioned earlier that some of these more established um, senior politicians are being challenged. Explain that to me a little bit more. There's been increasing pressure on some of these legislative leaders who have not embraced some of the more progressive priorities. Um, The one flashpoint is uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana. That's something that's been favored by the governor. It passed the state house just 3634 by the skin of its teeth um, one year, but it has never advanced in the Senate. Um, so that's one issue. Another is the possibility of tapping into a, the land grant permanent fund a little more heavily to generate more money for early childhood programs like pre-K and programs that help children get ready for school essentially. But this particular idea, which would free up I don't know, 150 to 200 million dollars extra a year has not been embraced by by some of these senior Democrats in the Senate. Got it. And what else are you going to be looking out for during the special session that's just around the corner? I think the most important thing for us is is you know what sorts of services are impacted, if any. You know, the the state is coming off a, a big oil boom, uh, which generated a ton of money. So reserves are relatively high heading into this tough economic period. Uh, so that that may limit the damage this year. But there is probably a longer term problem that they're going to have to address. You know, just the economic damage is just enormous. Yeah. Um and it's going to last a long time, even if you lifted all business restrictions right now. You know, people may not go out shopping as much. People may not travel as much. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stresses on the economy that will affect the state budget. And um, I think another thing to watch for is any sort of relief programs. If the state is able to help more businesses stay afloat. Yeah. We're going to keep an eye on your work, my friend. He is Dan McKay, journalist with the Albuquerque Journal. Thanks again for being with me, Dan. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Here with me now to get further into the primaries and what we should be looking out for. My good friend from New Mexico, PBS, Matt Grubbs, is on the line. Matt, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So, okay, we got the primaries on Tuesday. What are you keeping your eye on? What I'm watching, I think, number one, is going to be election day turnout. Um, as you may or may not have discussed already, um, the the last day to vote early um, is going to be Saturday the 30th. Um, and then there's the break before um, anyone can vote on June 2nd. Um, and while we've seen really robust absentee requests, um, we've also got this pandemic and i am i am skeptical that we're going to see the kind of election day numbers i think as the stay-at-home orders and just the the effect of the pandemic on our everyday lives our psyche as that kind of sort of drips in Mm -hmm. um it seems to me uh that a lot of people are just less motivated now, Democratic Congresswoman Sochil Torres-Small down in southern New Mexico, she won that real, on a really, really super tight margin. She won her seat. We've got three Republicans vying for a chance to unseat her. Are you watching that one pretty closely? Uh, I am. Um, it, in particular, the, the Claire Chase-Yvette Harrell uh, dynamic. Um, 
both in terms of what the candidates are saying about each other and what outside groups are saying about the candidates. Um, it's it's gotten really kind of ugly. Hmm. Um, that's not necessarily anything new, but it just shows how important this seat is to the the balance of power in Washington. Hmm. Um, so Jill Torres Small has worked really hard to paint herself as a centrist Democrat. Um, and in doing so, I think she she may have um, reached across, you know, the aisle and and sort of established herself in that spot. The question is whether a district that's getting increasingly um, democratic uh, will agree with that. Um, you know, Democrats outnumber Republicans in New Mexico by a healthy margin, you know, in CD2, Republicans haven't really had a, a difficult time holding that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is this is really one of the ones to watch. And uh, I think, you know, all the national groups like Cook Political Report and they've got it listed as a toss up, I believe. So um, one of the things I think you see um, in particular in New Mexico is um uh, divide in the Republican Party, um, the more moderate part of the party isn't a very loud one. Mm. Um, and so what you end up with in the primaries, and you see this also in the Senate, um, the U.S. Senate race for Tom Udall's seat, um, is is sort of a contest of sort of who can pledge allegiance to Trump, um, who can make that point to the Republican voters. It's a very deep red primary. Yeah. Okay, now... You know, finally, we have the special session next month. And I don't think we've ever, ever seen anything like this in state's history. Are you worried about transparency and whether we'll be able to see what is actually going on? This is New Mexico. It's a big state with bad Internet. And um, I, I don't know how that's going to that's going to work out. So if I were a betting man, I would bet on maybe a two or three day session. Um, and they'll they'll get at some budget stuff. Um, as you know, uh, the Capitol is a germ pit during a normal session. Yeah. And, um, you know, with COVID-19, I personally am not wild about walking in there um, with, you know, a couple hundred people from at least all over the state. Yeah. Um, it's just next to impossible to do effective social distancing there. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be short. Um, I think it'll be budget focused. There's a slight chance that they might address some of the vote by mail election stuff. Um, but given how politicized that's become, um, despite a mountain of evidence that it's generally speaking a very safe um, and and fraud free way of, of conducting an election. Um, you know, you've seen everything from The Washington Post to The Washington Times, which is much more conservative, say that this is probably a pretty good way to vote. Um, I, I don't know that they'll get at that. It's just so politicized. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He is Matt Grubbs, producer for New Mexico PBS. Thanks again for being with me, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy it. Looking at my Gucci, it's about that time for resources. Find the full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash YNMG hub. You can get more from Matt Grubbs and New Mexico PBS by heading to NewMexicoPBS.org. Their flagship show, New Mexico in Focus, airs Fridays at 7 p.m. Read some of Dan McKay's work at the Albuquerque Journal by heading to abqjournal.com and search Dan McKay. That's M-C-K-A-Y. 
and discover how you can help ensure that each New Mexican can exercise their right to vote by getting informed and or involved with Common Cause. Look up commoncause.org slash new dash Mexico for more. Head to nmnativevote.org and navaeducationproject.org for more information on their efforts to provide fair and safe voting places. And also, if you want to read the League of Women Voters online voting guide, head to this episode's post at kunm.org. Here is this week on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays on KUNM's Airwaves at 7.30 p.m. online. Next week, we air at 7 p.m., same days, different time. As always, you can find this show on KUNM.org or subscribe anywhere, anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. We really mean that. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the New Mexico Local News Fund, and KUNM listeners like you. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. Theme music by Pope Yes Yes Y'all. It's produced by yours truly. News update by Marisa DeMarco. Shout out to Cave Movehead and Hannah Colton for helping with the editing. For everyone here at Your New Mexico government, I'm Khalil Colonna. Thanks for listening.